Hey listeners, David Avalone here with a public service announcement. Given the choices made recently by the top brass at Spotify, we have no choice but to remove this podcast from that service for now. It's a time-consuming process, but if you listen through Spotify, it's likely this will be the last episode on their platform. The good news is we're available on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and directly from the Pendant Audio website. All free, all easy to access, and so much better than drinking your own pee. Thanks for listening, and now on to the show. I am Rylan Grant, screenwriter, <laughs> Ringle award-winning creator of fine comics like Aberrant Panjax and Suicide Jockeys. The other voice in the dark, the man in the box to the left is... David Avalone, comic book writer, screenwriter, uh, copy achiever. Love it, love it, love it. If you missed any of our previous conversations, uh, uh, two whole seasons of delightful conversations... Featuring uh, comic luminaries like David F. Walker, Matt Fraction, Stan Sakai, Kevin Eastman, and Rodney Barnes, and uh, the three uh, beautiful, amazing, talented, wildly intelligent guests we have on today. Uh, our entire catalog can be celebrated via YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, and other purveyors of worthwhile ear crack. So double on back and check it out. Um, as I insinuated, great show for you today. First show of the third season. Uh, we have brought back uh, the All-Stars, uh, some of our favorite people that kind of have a, uh, a, a kickoff show. Um, so when I shut up and let's bring them on, huh? Here we go. Joining us are Amanda Dybert Staggs, Richard Fairgray, and Barbara Dillon. Hello, kids. Welcome back. Amanda, Hello, would you take off and tell us a little about, bit about yourself? Hi, I'm I'm glad to be back. And mostly I think that maybe every afternoon I should have Ryland just come like scream to wake me up in my mid-afternoon slump. Uh that's better than coffee. So Hello! <laughs> so, and welcome to mid-afternoon. <laughs> I'm feeling it. I am feeling it. Uh, I'm Amanda Dybert, I write comic books and screenplays and spend way too much time procrastinating on, on Twitter. It's sure. My, my whole deal. <laughs> that is That's what it does. What if, I really wonder what writers did to waste their time before. Well, I don't wonder, actually, and we don't have to talk about that. But uh, <laughs> alcohol and masturbation to one side. Here's Richard Fairgray. Love it. <laughs> Well, I mean, I guess, uh, yeah, I'm Richard Fairgray. I write uh, mostly, mostly I'm known for children's books and middle grade comics, but I also do uh, mature content. I am today proudly drinking a, a, a very flat Red Bull that I poured in a glass so it would look like I was a little classier. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at. Uh, I, I found it. So that's good. And I want to just congratulate Ryland, um, not so much on his yelling, but on the use of the word cranky asshole, because Frankly, that kind of product placement for a steampunk accessories uh, is just missing from the podcast these days. I'm sorry. I do not want to see that crank. And uh, Barbara Dillon, ladies and gentlemen. 
<laughs> Hello. Thanks for having me back. I love everyone on this call. And uh, it's great to chat with you. I'm the editor-in-chief of Fanbase Press, uh, which is an award-winning comic book publishing company and geek culture website. And uh, I just look forward to talking about comics with people that are not one-year-old babies. So I'm very excited about that. You do a lot of talking about <laughs> comics with the twins. Sometimes That's you'd be surprised. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Definitely. You sit there with the twins knowing, was Kirby better at DC or at Marvel? Exactly. What are, what are your, What's your take? Here's why we want to stay away from the gutter today. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, there's, there's more intelligent insight there than there is on Twitter. So yeah, you know, they got that going for you. That's true. So we wanted to, because this is our welcome back show and it's 2022, 2002. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm 40 again. Uh, no, it's 2022. And uh, we want to talk about, you know, what, what's going on, what are, what your perspective is on, on the coming year. Uh, but we should start with, I think, what are you working on and what you got coming up? Let's start with Amanda. Um, let's see uh, with what I can talk about. Um, oh, uh, season two of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe drops on March 3rd. Uh, so I have a couple more episodes of that. I, I wrote an episode in season one. I've got a couple more coming up. Very excited about that on Netflix. Um, yay, He-Man. Uh, it's not the Kevin Smith one. Just have to say this to everybody all the time because there are two He-Mans on Netflix. So it's the the one that's for kids. So there's the Kevin Smith He-Man and then there's the um, the one that I write on. There's so a different favorite. title, right? The Kevin Smith one is the Revelation. So his is, is Revelations, yes. And then ours is just He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. Um, but I still get asked all the time what it's like to work with Kevin Smith. And I can only answer probably wonderful, but I don't know. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's for the I TV stuff. I, I did not know there were two parallel masks. Are they at least spacing out the premieres of them? Are they... It was like, not was very, I mean, they both came out last year. Right. Uh, they both premiered last year. Uh, the Revelations came out first, so like in the okay. summer and then we were in the fall, but like, you know, what, two months apart. So not very, not very spread right. apart on right. the same platform. Um, and by the same, you know, I mean, we had the same, the same bosses, the same team, the same overlords, as you will. So like, it, it, you know, in a lot of ways, very, very married. So, um, so I get a lot of questions about a show I didn't write on a lot. Um, and that's interesting. <laughs> but do the, was, and do the two continuities talk to each other at all? Or are they just completely different? They're, they're completely different. And they're, they're very completely different stories. I mean, the one that uh, Revelations is definitely more geared toward people more in our age demographic. And like, it's mm -hmm. kind of like dealing with like the nostalgic fans and telling a story in that way. And then ours is a revamp that's for the new generation. So more catered towards the, what my seven-year-old is going to be into and watching and like introducing He-Man to her. And are the, are the, are the chuds just as angry as you at, at you as they are at Kevin Smith? Is it worth um, you know, getting more of the We haven't gotten the same pictures. amount of, of, we haven't gotten the same amount of backlash. And I don't know if that's because like he went first mm. or, you know, or what the deal was, but like we've, um our reception has been, has been a bit warmer. I mean, there's always going to be people complaining about anything all the time. 
but we we have because read it. Your Skeletor isn't sexy enough for them. It's ruining the right, right. Yeah, like something something like that will. Skeletor for sure needs a tighter bikini, Amanda. When are you going to give us that? That's the. I mean, look, look. You don't know what's coming down. The line. <laughs> yeah, well. You know, very exciting. Beach blanket Skeletor. It's That's funny. The uh, you know, bring me into the writers' room. I'm ready for. Uh, I'm ready for. Beach <laughs> Uh, the, uh, the 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 script that broke me in Hollywood was a script called Drive, and 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 it kind of it, it it made a uh, it made the rounds around town maybe four or five years before the Ryan Gosling movie uh, uh, was released, and the number of people that even still come and congratulate me on Drive and how great Ryan Gosling was in the movie, um, uh, yeah, I get I get a couple a year, so that's what that's, that's, that's yeah. Yes, he would. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm like, yeah, you know, it was it was good. It was actually my idea to cast him. So uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> what else you got going on, man? Not that that's not enough, but have you got any comic stuff coming up? Um, I do. I have a actually have I have a He-Man graphic novel that's coming out soon too. That is a companion with the show, and um, we have the fourth installment of my wife Cat Sags, who's an illustrator, and I did this. Um, Serena Williams Wonder Woman mashup comic um, that if anybody saw, anybody who watches commercials, saw the direct TV commercials where Serena turned into Wonder Woman. So there's a, a comic series that goes with it that I write and that my wife illustrates. And the last issue of that is coming out very soon. And then I think then it will be collected into like an actual physical, because right now it's digital only. Um, and then it will be a physical book that people can can go out and purchase and i think i think those are the only things that i can talk about right now that are current sure for me and richard what you got going on um well i just i just launched a, a series online last week um that i have no real plan in place for it's called haunted hill um it's a surrealist soap opera about a 35 year old woman who moves back to Hollywood because her wife gets a really good museum job. Um, it's the kind of job which like people her age don't tend to get. Uh, but so many elderly men have been being arrested recently for, for dressing up as monsters at museums that there are openings. Um, and it's, it's a, it's a mature, weird thing. I, I, I don't even really know how to describe it yet. Um, and I've been drawing it in my spare time for about a year and I thought, fuck it, I'll just throw it up on the old internet and see what happens there. And I just confirmed with a printer that I'm going to print thousands of copies of it uh, in a few months and take it to conventions if they start again, because I miss having books. Um, so Haunted Hill is real good. Uh, that's a great elevator pitch I did on that. Uh, it, has, it, has, it has no nudity, but my husband is rimming someone in a sling on page three. Um, so there goes my children's book career. Uh, he has a distinctive bald head, and everyone, every time I draw him in anything, people spot him. Um, even people who don't know him, actually, when when Barbara read that first issue, she immediately said, "I saw Ray." <laughs> He's so proud of me. Um, in April or March, maybe uh, Stack Deck Press are releasing a reprint of the comic that my first ever comic, which I published when I was seven uh, through a blackmail thing. Um, uh, with a librarian and uh, called Ghost Ghost about a ghost who's invisible and lonely. Um, and there's, it's, it's, I ended up doing 10 short stories in the series and then uh, the publisher just got me to do an 11th one. So that's coming out as a collected book because uh, it's never been available in the US before. And then 
May, I have book three of Black Sand Beach. Um, and then July, I think, well, Haunted Hill, the book will come out in June. And then July, uh, Blue Fox Comics are launching a graphic novel I did with Lucy Camagnolo called Shed about um, an elderly lesbian couple and in a small town and a sea monster um, that, again, great elevator pitch, Richard. You're so good at this. And oh, and then uh, that volume two of Cardboardia comes out in August, maybe or September. And then I, I don't think I have anything else later in the year, but I'm going to try and there's a, a, a print edition of a short story collection that was released as an ebook last year. My publisher wants to put that out. And then in the meantime, I'm working on six different books. For next <laughs> and then I'm going to die. I'm going to fall over and die. And I, 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 yeah, I was going to say in once a week, uh, Richard sleeps for four hours. Um, no, I'm doing, I'm and it goes right back to <laughs> I'm doing uh, I'm on a good cycle now. I'm doing three hours a night and then I do an hour and a half in the middle of the day. And yeah, wow. I realize that I'm drinking my sad flat Red Bull like it's whiskey because of the glass. And it's it really <laughs> makes it sit in your tongue. And it's that's not a it has good a, it has a weight to it that I, I'm appreciating. It's, yeah, my tongue is really sore because I ate three bags of sour Skittles for breakfast. <laughs> So that's the secret to productivity for you kids uh, uh, listening at home. It's bad Honestly. for your teeth and your stomach and almost everything else, but you can draw hundreds of pages a week. And that's really, that's the benefit to this Our Skittles Richard Fairgray diet. Uh, I'm very much I went wild because they brought back lime. How could I not buy 400 packets? Totally, totally understandable. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking forward to Black Sand Beach number three. I love the first two volumes of that. When did you say that was coming in? I think May, but uh, I mean, you know, paper shortages. So who really knows? Right. I know it's, it's being printed now in theory. So, right. fingers right. crossed. It's and really what's, good. What's going on over at Fanbase Press these days, aside from adorable uh, Muppets? Babies. Um, so we have a our first foray into graphic medicine called Ripple Effects. Uh, it's created and written by Jordan Hart. Um, and uh, Jordan himself has a blood clotting disease called thrombophilia. And so he really wanted to bring a story to life that talked about and created a superhero who just also happened to have an invisible disability um, because he wasn't really seeing that in, in comics or other media. So um, it was a little too uh, close to home, I think, to talk about thrombophilia. So uh, our lead character has uh, type one diabetes. Um, and it's really a story about, you know, what it's like to be a superhero. You just happen to have other things like, you know, what is it like living with an invisible disability? What is stigma like? What is it like having medical debt? You know, what is your like life like from day to day? And of course there's action, drama, everything else that you expect from a superhero story, but uh, it's five issues. It starts coming out digitally in uh, June of this year, and then the trade will come out in November. But we're we're super exci uh, excited about it. Um, we really hope that it resonates with readers, especially those who may be impacted by the various types of invisible disabilities out there and just brings greater awareness to those individuals and, and what they go through as well. So we're, we're super excited about that. We have another project in development, which we, we can't announce yet, but uh, we've read the first issue. It's stellar and amazing and we love the creator. So we're, we're really stoked about that as well. But lots of, you know, creator support in between, lots of reviews, interviews, podcasts in between. So happy to raise the visibility for other creators out there while we're creating books as well. 
And uh, is there a nuclear power trade coming to print soon? It's actually out now. It came out in October, uh, sadly, in, in the midst of uh, pandemic pandemonium. But um, but yes, it's out now. It's available through the Fanbase Press online store. It's available on Amazon, in local comic book shops, uh, as well as through Hoopla, Comixology, and the other digital platforms. Just for the people that aren't familiar, tell us about your podcasts. I know you sure. have... You have the Fanbase Weekly on Friday nights. Am I remembering that right? Uh, so the Fanbase Weekly is our flagship podcast that uh, comes out every Monday. Uh, we'll be starting season seven this coming Monday. And uh, we're super excited about it. Um, we basically, the, the format of the Fanbase Weekly is that it's a, a round table of creators uh, from various mediums of, of geekdom talking about the latest geek news stories as pulled from the headlines from that week. Um, and we do more than just talk about like, what did you think of this trailer? We really like to do deep dives into various avenues of geekdom, whether it be science, whether it be technology, um, but also, of course, including comics, movies, TVs, books, everything in between. So, and, and we like to have a, a very uh, inclusive and positive group. So it's a, it's a very positive conversation. And we just have a, a lot of fun geeking out. But uh, we've got, as you mentioned, David, other podcasts in the network. We have the Arkham Sessions, which is hosted by Brian Ward and Dr. Drea Letamendi, who is a clinical psychologist. They uh, analyze, uh, they've analyzed everything from Batman the animated series right now they're going through the mcu i think they just released their doctor strange episode from a psychological standpoint they do they analyze each of the the characters from a psychological right. standpoint so they talk about uh dr stephen strange and you know what his character uh, type is but also how he has evolved uh, throughout the film <clears throat> and what led to that through uh various you know Inter introspective issues and, and whatnot, but obviously Drea can can give a better analysis than I can, um, but it's it's really fantastic. And, and we've got a whole host of other uh, shows on the network and all of them can be found on uh, Apple Podcasts. I'm not gonna mention the one that starts with an S because of everything that happened this past weekend. And <laughs> I don't wanna support them anymore, but um, uh, right, yeah. yeah, so, but all of the, the podcast platforms, our, our shows are available through. Yeah, I, I was telling Amanda actually earlier today on Twitter, I feel left out because I cannot boycott a product I never got around. I was too lazy to get around <laughs> to using it. There you go. All that, all that time and energy I spent uh, uh, on iTunes playlists, there was no way in hell I was going to abandon that for the, the S word. Sure, um, absolutely. But uh, but yeah, that's that's all great stuff. I've been a guest on some of those shows and they're delightful. I It's interesting about the Arkham thing, how meaning change a reference becomes a reference becomes a reference. When you when you said the name of the thing, I went, oh, a, a Lovecraft-only podcast? That seems odd. But no, 50 years ago, some Batman writer decided to name something after something from Lovecraft's universe, and now it means something from Batman, not something from uh, from H.P. Lovecraft. But that's a, that's a, that's a really phenomenal approach uh, to comic book characters to put them on the couch. Absolutely. And Drea is so, she's so whip smart and amazing in her analysis. Brian as well, um, but just her, her clinical background uh, is really stunning and, and she does a fantastic job with each episode. Well, and of course, characters that have been written by 300 different people over a period of 50, 60 years are going to be schizophrenic regardless. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they're not going to be internally consistent for that entire time. So that's a, that's an interesting challenge as well. Uh, Ryland, why don't you tell us what you have going on and coming up? <laughs> um, God, uh, yeah, I am. Um, I have been so swamped uh, with um, with film and TV stuff that 
Well, that's I'm, part uh, of it. We can talk about that too. Yeah, no, I, 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 I know. I'm, I mean, I'm still, um, I'm, I'm still kind of floating in the sea with the, um, uh, with the comic stuff. Um, the Suicide Jockeys uh, uh, trade is out in early February. I mean, I think okay. that, like Richard, uh, we have been dealing with some printing uh, issues, so it's been moved back once or twice already. But I think, um, I think first week of February. Um, so that's going to come out. Um, and that should be fun. And there are like, uh, I'm starting all the, um, sorry, all of the, um, source point press has a really cool, like, um, uh, retailer exclusive program. And so I'm starting to get all of the, um, kind of amazing retailer exclusive covers coming in. Um, and so those are available. We have, um, uh, this is Hal Loren from encased comics, I think. And, um, um, Chris Campana from uh, uh, where was this from? Um, I don't know. I'm 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 blowing it already. But uh, there's a lot of that stuff coming out. Um, I am writing a uh, a a kind of amazing uh, Wuxia, uh comic book for Immortal Studios, um, the company that did the Adept. Um, we will have. Uh, I haven't told you, David, this, but we will have the Immortal Studios uh, brass on very soon to uh, talk about the Adept and kind of promote that thing. Um, but it is a uh, um, it is a, a Wuxia comic, like a, a Shaolin Kung Fu comic that takes place during the Boxer Rebellion. So it's almost kind of like a historical drama, also. And so I have um, I've spent the last couple of months, uh, you know, a lot of my time kind of lost in the. Uh, the the intricacies and you know eccentricities of the boxer rebellion um it's been kind of awesome uh but but yeah um yeah and then you know the jump and and the peacekeepers um you know finding uh uh proper publishing homes for those after good kickstarter runs um but you know i i think i'm gonna play the i'm gonna play the same card amanda did and and, and be like i could tell you but i'd have to kill you um so 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 soon enough um, but yeah, film and TV is, um, I mean, it, it's a good problem to have, I guess, has been monopolizing my time. Um, had a film shoot over the pandemic uh, with Emile Hirsch, kind of like a cool, uh, uh, you know, sort of like smaller matrixy sci-fi mindfuck. Uh, um, and that'll be out this year uh, in theaters called State of Consciousness. That's pretty cool. Um, have two films shooting this spring, um, one in Germany. And it's almost kind of like a music-driven Dead Poet Society coming-of-age thing that is set um, in the uh, the 70s in um, in East Germany. Um, and Stasi intrigue and all of that stuff. It's uh, based on a true story that is just fucking incredible. Um, uh, these these guys kind of... Um, uh, American music was outlawed. And um, and they started sneaking. They they found the Rolling Stones, fell in love with the the, the Rolling Stones and like revolution ensued basically they started sneaking american music in they brought it to like the young people in east germany and this political movement started that a lot of people kind of credit at least in part with helping you know bring the wall down eventually um and we got to uh we met all the guys that started the movement and spent a bunch of time with them and you know wrote their story down and um and yeah it's a uh, uh, you know big shot um in germany this spring with an oscar-winning director and so that's that's pretty awesome uh, I have another film shooting on a Greek island with Matt Dillon. That'll be fun. Hopefully, uh, COVID cooperates and I get to go out there. Um, so yeah, that, and then what's that? When does that start? Uh, uh, they're both in the spring. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, uh, we're 
we're still we're still navigating COVID waters, but uh, but 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 we shall see yeah. in the spring. And then um, and then yeah, um, you know, I I I've talked about it before, but um, you know, we we set up this uh this TV series with Lionsgate that's a big action joint, and we have uh David Diggs and Raphael Casal from Blind Spotting, and you know, David was one of the stars of Hamilton, and uh, and then we have Emmy Raver Latman from uh, Umbrella Academy, and so uh, we are um. It looks like those three actors are uh, looks like they're available in the fall. So everybody's trying like hell to get that going for the fall. But you know, we'll see. It's a it's a mountain to move. So uh, we will cross our fingers and hope that that goes. But we're um, but you know, but we're writing like fucking mad trying to get a season of TV done. To I want to make sure I'm not crazy here. Does everyone remember about five minutes ago when Ryland was like, Richard, you're doing too many things, and then he listed four thousand <laughs> right. Project. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how that works. You know? Yeah, I just I just sit at a desk and like lean forward. If I fall asleep, worst that happens is I get some ink on my face. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> it, 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 it's weird though, Richard, because you're you know I I mean you have to actually sit down and do the pages. You know, I mean I feel you're like um... Greek island with Matt Dillon. You cannot risk <laughs> falling in the ocean. <laughs> we'll see. I mean, it's I, I. I mean, I feel like this is it, it's it's such a weird time to kind of like be in you know in the film business. So I think you know Amanda probably knows this as, as well as anybody. But um, you know, I, things have been on pause for a long while, and they're kind of unpausing uh, to a certain degree. So I feel like I have like five years of work that's all going to be all going to come to the surface like at once, mm. and so. I'm not doing all this, you know, all, all the shit's already written for the most part. Um, yeah. There's, there's other stuff to manage, but it's just, um, yeah. just finally seeing the light of day, you know, I mean, with the, I mean, with, with film shit, um, you know, if you write the greatest script in the world and a director loves it and blah, 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 blah. If everything goes like perfectly, you're lucky if it's on the screen somewhere in five years. Um, so this shit is a long time in the making the, the Matt Dillon movie uh is it, this is a funny story because uh uh this is actually the first movie i was ever paid to write in hollywood so like 15, 15 years ago penelope cruz hired me uh halfway through my my afi career to write a film for her uh it was going to be a starring vehicle for her with uh, uh this director fernando treva who directed um bella poke and won the oscar for foreign language film and he he's he's the director that actually discovered penelope in spain and and so, you know, it was, it was a big deal back then. And, um, and we were, I mean, we wrote it great script in my estimation, still, I think one of the best scripts I've ever written, you know, we, we have this A-list actress who's ready to do it. We have this great director. Um, and then the financial crisis hit and then the writer strike. And then, um, you know, and then there was this panic during the writer strike where um, things got categorized as like pre-strike films or post-strike films. Basically, if you had a, if you had a film in the pipe, um, it could go during the writer's strike. If, if it wasn't in the pipe yet, then you had to wait until, you know, the, the writer's strike was, had kind of blown over. Nobody knew how long the writer's strike was going to last. So there was this like mad dash by all the studios to like, they were just throwing money at stars, trying to get them attached to anything. So it could, you know, it could be greenlit uh, uh, during the strike if need be. And so Penelope had to like decide at that point, does she basically get paid scale to like do a passion project on a Greek island um, or does she take 
whatever twelve million dollars to do fucking Sahara two or whatever the fuck it was back then. I don't even remember. Or twenty million dollars um, to marry Tom Cruise, which <laughs> he turned back down. With, yeah, you know, you know, you know so Penelope, Penelope, I think, wisely took her uh, her, her paycheck. But but it sucks because I mean, we you know, it was Penelope. We were. Um, it looked like Billy Bob Thornton was going to be the male lead, and it was a great a great time to be in business with Billy Bob back then. So is Matt uh, Dillon in the Billy Bob role or the Penelope Cruise role? Matt is now in that Billy Bob Thornton role because um so so yeah that's the thing is like so so this thing gets left behind and this person goes off in this direction and this person goes off in that direction and we're waiting for Penelope to come back to it and that didn't quite happen and then Penelope is you know is kind of in a new phase of her life and her career and like okay well do we do we completely rewrite the part for where Penelope is in our life now, or do we stick to our guns? And we tried that. And, you know, and th this happens over the course of like 15 years, <laughs> this thing. And so, and, and, and so finally it's like, you know, finally Penelope's like, ah, you know, I'm going to take a step back. I don't, I, I don't know that this is, you know, this is me anymore. You need to find somebody who, you know, was like I was when I hired you to do this. And we found, uh, we found it in this actress, uh, you know, Ida Fulch is a, um, a Goya winning uh, Spanish actress who's great, who Fernando's worked with. But then um, Fernando's close with Matt Dillon. And, uh, and, and so he, he made a call to Matt and, you know, we started talking to Matt and, and, and it works with Matt. And so now, um, now Matt Dillon is, uh, he is taking clarinet lessons daily because, because I, I wrote it down on, you know, on a piece of paper. Yeah. <laughs> the, the character I created uh, uh, is a is a jazz clarinetist. And uh, so now Matt Dillon has to learn the clarinet and is learning the clarinet perhaps as we speak. So cool. Fun show. Cool. Yeah. So, so, so over to you, Avalone, what is... Uh... Uh, I'm doing some stuff. Uh, the thing I finished yesterday that I is... I'm completely thrilled that I got a chance to do. I got a gig from being a pest on Twitter. Um, <laughs> Rodney Barnes, who's been on the show, lovely gentleman, uh, retweeted an editor named James Aquiloni, who was doing a Kolshak anthology. And I thought that sounds cool. And I replied to the tweet, hey, if you do a second volume, I'd love to be uh, involved. And uh, in the fullness of time, within a couple of days, I got, an, uh, I got a message from the editor saying, so our, the guy writing the first story in the anthology dropped out. Do you want to what, write Kolchak in high school in 1939? And I went, more than anything ever. That's like <laughs> the most abalone concept I've ever heard in my life. So just like you were saying about the Boxer Rebellion, I'm a history nut and I love the research and I love getting into it. And, uh, you know, one of the things I did was look at, you know, he's supposed to be from New York. I thought, let's make him from, you know, Brooklyn, make him from the, the you know, his immigrant family and all that. And I looked into interesting things that happened in Coney Island in 1939 and in on September 16th 1939 half of coney island burned down and i went i wonder what monster made that happen <laughs> sure they say it was a garbage fire but clearly that's that can't be the real story and at the same time alberto anastasia was head of murder incorporated and was terrorizing um the uh the dock workers who were trying to unionize and i went i can do a whole Mob hires a fire starter to burn down Coney Island because they won't pay, pay protection money thing. And that's 
Kolshak's first assignment for his high school paper. And it <laughs> gives him a commitment to discovering the truth about things. Now, the tricky thing is Kolshak doesn't believe in monsters until the first TV movie in 1972. So when he sees a fire starter later when he's talking to the police, he's like, I don't know, guy, guy's a stage magician. He had a flamethrower shirt. I don't know how he did it. That's not like it doesn't even occur to him that he's seen something supernatural. But we, the audience, know that he has. But that's going to be a great story. It's called uh, The Funny Place because that's what the half of Coney Island that burned down was called Steeplechase The Funny Place. Um, and the art's going to be by Julius Oda. They they nicely reached out to my old partner, Julius, from the Betty Page comics. And Julius shares my fascination with period detail. Um, so that was great. <laughs> I, uh, the, you know, we talk about how much I love research. It was wonderful to discover, for example, that the term MOOC goes back to prior to the 1930s. I really wanted someone to call someone a MOOC. It was a thing people were saying to each other in the 1930s. That's very exciting to me. Uh, so that's kickstarting right now. Probably when this episode goes live, it will still be out there, and we can put the we can put the links down. Uh, it hasn't the there's an amazing lineup. One of the stories is by Richard Matheson's son, Richard Christian Matheson, who's another great screenwriter. And we're all standing. We are all of us standing on Richard Matheson's shoulders in the work that we do. Uh, you know, probably the most important horror writer of the 20th century. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, and I think I'm I'm submitting a prose story. They also have prose stories um, in that collection, and I'm submitting a pitch for one of those, which I, I think they might like. Uh, I got a new Elvira series coming out called Elvira in Horror Land. It hasn't been officially announced yet, but I've written an issue and someone's drawing it, so I feel pretty good about the fact that that's going to happen. And the premise of this is that movies uh, create parallel dimensions, little pocket universes, and Elvira is stuck in them trying to escape. And in the first issue, she's stuck in Psycho. Uh, the second issue title is called She's a Kubrick House. Uh, if you want to guess what movie that's a, a riff on, I just got, I just got approval from Cassandra to do... Uh, Alien, the Aliens franchise in issue three. So that's just going to be a ball coming and going. And uh, I have some more stuff coming from Dynamite. On, on Valentine's Day, uh, I did a, a Vampirella Valentine story. They're doing a Vampirella Valentine's issue. Uh, that'll be fun. And, uh, and there, like everyone, there's a little bit of this stuff I can't Talk about Drawing Blood, <clears throat> my my creator-owned property with Kevin, which also has the spin-off comic within the comic called The Radically Rearing Throne Ragdolls. Uh, there's a lot going on with that right now. Um, the next time we have someone on the show, they'll probably be talking about how excited they are about how their publishing company now is publishing Drawing Blood. Uh, <laughs> A frequent guest of the show who is a publisher will be will be publishing Drawing Blood going forward. And uh, we're very excited about that. And there's some crazy media stuff going on with the radically rearranged Ronin Ragdolls, um, which is great because it's an in-universe thing. And I really want people reading Drawing Blood to go, no, but this guy must really exist because there's the, you know, there's the 
the manga based on the ragdolls. Obviously, this has been around a really long time. No, it hasn't. But uh, but yeah, so there's a lot of stuff going on with that. That's that's pretty exciting. Um, but yeah, I'm just I'm happy. I was lucky during the pandemic. I think a lot of us were, um, in the sense that a lot of my even when comic book shops shut down, I had two fairly long assignments that were paid for by Kickstarter. So I didn't need comic book shops to be open to keep working on those. Um, my wife is a union seamstress and she went back to work pretty fast. Um, and as I told her at the time, you know, I was concerned for her safety a little bit, but I always had the perspective that within the film industry, we have insurance companies and we have people who they cannot afford to kill. So, you know, she's working on Picard. Picard just had a hundred, you know, 50 to a hundred positive tests and they shut down for a week. You know, I was like, maybe they don't care if you live or die, but they sure hell don't want to kill Patrick Stewart. <laughs> so, you know, they're, they're going to, you know, you will be protected by accident by the fact that they want to wrap Patrick in, uh, in bubble wrap. So, and, you know, I wanted to move on to a big topic among our, our peoples uh, going forward, which is conventions, uh, which are slowly coming back. Uh, pre between in that brief moment between Delta and Omicron, I went to San Diego Comic Con and then to LA Comic Con, which were a week apart. Which word of advice? Don't don't do that. <laughs> don't don't do two fairly enormous conventions uh, two weekends in a row. That's that's bad for you um, as a human being. But uh, but I had a good excuse me. I had a good time at each of them. I felt safe people were masked vaccines were checked at the door um i know that for barbara and amanda there's a different consideration and i think for ryland as well there are children in the house and that's a that that adds a level that i don't have to deal with or think about at all but uh you know let's start. amanda what do you think about going back to conventions is there is there a thing you're waiting for? Is there a, an aspect of it that you're hoping for? Well, originally, um, for us, we haven't gone to any yet. Uh, originally, for us, it was for uh, there to be a vaccine available for our daughter. She's seven, so I I have that advantage of her now being vaccinated um, because she because she's in an age bracket that they finally done that. Um, so now, I think it will be us. Um, kind of looking at what's happening and then individually weighing our comfort level going forward. I don't know what the magic um, like answer would would be now before it was just very like we're not going to do anything until our child can be vaccinated. But now we've been discussing it like at what point should we think about it? Um, so I I think I feel like probably within the next year, at the very least, Kat would, would go and, and maybe I would stay home with our daughter. I don't know that we're ready to like drag her to a convention yet, but uh, you know, so we'll, we'll see. We're kind of, we're kind of feeling it out. Cause I think the next big one on the schedule is WonderCon, mm -hmm. um, which is supposedly in March. It's a comical thing where it, this is the first time I've been invited to be on <clears throat> Three panels. I think Richard, you even invited me to moderate a panel at Wonder. Uh, well, I'm, I, I'm trying to force myself to um, 
to get back out there, honestly. Yeah. Um, and so I thought if I if I submit a panel and they accept it, then I have to do it. And then I asked you to moderate it and then I didn't fill in. The, I filled in the form and then I never sent it because, yeah. I think they're due tomorrow, Richard. So so if you want to get it in there. Yeah, I know. I you, like, like yeah. that's the thing. I kind of I kind of keep hoping that I'll just miss the deadline. <laughs> which well, is, we, won't, we won't remind you again. But it is an interesting yeah. thing where there's this kind of, I think the whole industry right now is having is schizophrenic about it where people want to do them and they don't want to do them. And like, I was about to say, you know, I've been invited to do three panels at WonderCon. WonderCon hasn't opened professional registration yet. <laughs> so the con I can't go to and don't have a ticket for, I am apparently doing some panels at. Well, I think that's the tough thing, David. We as exhibitors haven't, I mean, I had rolled over our table from 2020 and still haven't heard anything definitive as to whether we're actually booked to be an exhibitor. So I'm really skeptical at this point as to whether WonderCon is actually happening this year. I mean, I would love for it to. I, I honestly don't know if we would attend because like Amanda said, I mean, we're we're in the, the younger kiddo bracket. So our, our kids yeah. are, are one. So um, yeah, you're six years away or you're four yeah. years away from. Yeah. And it's not even definitive as to when the vaccine's coming out yet. I mean, it could be March. It could be who knows? So I think that's the tough thing. But uh, but yeah, I think it's like everyone is saying, it's it's the industry itself as well. That's a, a bit skittish, understandably and rightfully so with everything with Omicron, especially here in Southern California. Um, it's just it's tough to know whether to move forward, especially if there are no attendance caps, you know. Yeah. And, and I think uh, that Wonder, WonderCon is probably looking at the predicted model of what Omron's going to do. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Which is that it's going to peak in the next week or two, which gives them time before March. But mm -hmm. I agree with you. You know, there's there was a part of me. San Diego was. There were more people at Los Angeles Comic Con than uh, there were at San Diego by a large number, and. You know, I'm not a vendor that's like, I got to sell $2,000 worth of books or this was a waste of my time. I'm not making any money. It's fine. You know, like I'm never going to make any money at a con. It's not, it, it doesn't offend me if the attendance is light. But a lot of us were kind of also quietly saying, this is pretty great. <laughs> you know, like having San Diego Comic-Con with one quarter of the attendance is actually pretty nice. Like if we kicked it up to half, that might be, you know, but should there ever again be a con with 130,000 people? I, mm, I don't I, um, think so. Yeah. I, I keep waiting to feel comfortable. And I thought it was going to feel comfortable a lot sooner than, because it hasn't kicked in yet. You know, I, um, uh, I couldn't do, I couldn't do the San Diego Comic Con because, you know, I have a family and it was on Thanksgiving weekend and that just wasn't going to work. Um, you know, but then LA Comic Con came and I was, you know, I lived 20 minutes away from the venue. Um, and Christy Shin called me like a week or two before and said, hey, uh, do you want a free table at, at LA Comic Con? You know, no, no strings, no anything. I had friends call me and be like, hey, I got a lot of room at my table if you want to come and just squat for a day. Um, I had, uh, you know, close friend of mine, David Barron, friend of the show, um, he, he lives pretty far out. You know, he lives a couple hours away. I don't get to see him too often. He's like, hey, I'm going to be in town for LA Comic Con. Why don't, you, uh, why don't you come down for a day and we'll hang out or whatever. And um, 
I didn't, I didn't go. I didn't spend a single fucking minute at LA Comic Con because I just didn't feel good. Um, you know, part of it is like, it's just so, I don't know, it's like a PTSD from the last two years, you know, oh, yeah. uh, you're, 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 you're walking back onto the, the battlefield. I hate to make that comparison. It's a bad comparison, but you know what I mean? Um, the kid stuff plays in. I mean, I, I am, I am at this weird place between where Amanda is and where Barbara is. My, my daughter is five. Um, so she, she just was able to get the vaccine. She's fully vaccinated, uh, you know, right before Christmas. Um, but she is in a preschool class with a lot of four-year-olds who don't have the vaccine yet. Um, and we have all kind of subscribed to stricter standards. I mean, I was going to follow them anyway, but we've all, you know, you know, we're, we are a team now, <laughs> you know, I mean, anything we do affects all of those other families. Um, and so if, if, if I get Omicron and Naomi gets Omicron and she goes to school and then some of her classmates get, you know, get Omicron and they bring it back to grandma and all of that stuff. So it's like, that is a, that's a responsibility that weighs heavily on me. I mean, it's like, we all have that responsibility to a, to a degree, but it's like, it's not apparent. It's not hanging over us. You know what I'm saying? You might give it to the guy at the gas station who gives it to his grandma. You know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, but we don't think that way. But when you can see it in black and white, okay, well, Naomi is in a class with these 20 kids. Um, you know, and, and it shook me up a little bit. Um, you know, we weren't seeing vaccinated people getting this uh, like we are now. Mm. You know, um, uh, we weren't seeing... Um, I mean, my, my wife, uh, my wife has had to go to work to, to varying degrees through all of this. And, um, she got two exposure alert, alerts on her phone in a month. You know, she, uh, she had to go to court with a client and, and, uh, oh, well you were exposed and, uh, you know, in court. So now you have to stay home and quarantine and test and all of that stuff. Um, we saw a little family over the holiday and, um, we we're all very careful. We we're all vaccinated and boosted. Uh, we tested two days before we tested the morning of, and then we all got together and we were safe and careful. And then, uh, like a day and a half later, my niece tested positive. <laughs> um, and by, by some miracle, none of us got it. And, and we were in a room with her for, you know, nine hours. Uh, uh, but that shit shakes me up. And so the idea of going into even a half full San Diego convention center, is a little bit weird right now. Um, and, and, you know, and, and also it's like this start stop really, really bothered me because it's like right before the holiday, you know, my, my daughter was getting vaccinated. We were telling her, okay, well, you know, she, she say, okay, when, when can we go back to kid space? When can we go here? When can we go to a movie? And it's like, okay, well, when you're vaccinated, um, we'll start to, to think about that stuff and things were calming down. Right. And then she gets vaccinated and almost immediately there's, there's a Somicron surge. And then <laughs> we were going to DC, uh, uh, for the holiday. And it was like, okay, well, remember how we said we were going to go to museums. We were going to go do this. We might go to a movie. Well, we can't do that anymore, particularly because we're staying with your 80 year old grandfather, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and so, <sighs> that has an effect on you when it's like, okay, it seems like we're in the clear, but, oh no, it's worse now actually. Um, mm. And so I don't know when I'm going to be ready. I mean, it's, it's to Richard's point. Um, I have had on my calendar that WonderCon panel submission uh, uh, deadline for a very long time. Um, and I have just, you know, I, I'm, I'm a guy who was before all of this always good for two or three panels every, every uh, uh, con. I haven't done one since this started. I really haven't been to a con since this started. 
Um, and uh, yeah, I thought I was going to submit for WonderCon, and I have not been able to bring myself to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's that's weird. And 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 I I look down the line, and I don't know when I'm going to be ready to do that. You know, well, I mean, you know, you you corrected yourself for making the battlefield <laughs> metaphor, but I've been thinking about this a lot. And in terms of a global phenomenon. I honestly think the last time the world went through this was 1946. That was the last time ever something happened where everyone knew somebody who got sick. Everybody knew someone who had died. People were displaced, but like the world had PTSD in 1946 and the world has it now. Mm-hmm. And it's not over. You know, in the first, the pandemic in 1918, the war, World War I kind of masked it. You know, you hear the, the casualty reports from World War One, and you don't realize that a lot of those people just died in trenches of Spanish flu. Nobody shot them. No, and actually, the Civil War, most of the people that died in the Civil War died from illness, not gunshot. <clears throat> uh, it's actually not that uncommon. So, yeah, we are all processing this terrible thing, and it is, uh, it is a real trick. Uh, you know, we're lucky in the fact that, at least in the comic book world, most of us never see our collaborators face to face, except those of us who are lucky to be married to them, like Amanda and Barbara. Uh, but uh, you know, we're not in a world where we have to go somewhere. You know, my wife's going to a, a television studio every day, and there are a hundred people there now. Her workroom has maybe three or four people in it, but she's doing fittings with actors and extras, and she, you know, the, she told me today that there's a part they recast three times and the guy today called them and said, can't come in for my fitting. I have COVID. So they're on their fourth stunt player for this part in a television show. Now, I don't know about the the first two guys may have fallen out for other reasons, but like that, that wears on you. And I have, my wife has been wearing a, a mask for eight to 12 hours a day every weekday for a year and a half. And the first show she came back, she came back to For All Mankind and walked after a week and a half because their COVID, they were not following procedure at all. And there was a time when uh, they were, she was shooting something at CBS Television City. And if you know CBS Television City, there's a, or CBS Radford, I should say, there's mm-hmm. a river and ha- two thirds of the studio is on one side of the river and there are like three stages on the far side of the river. The big side of the river all shut down because of COVID. And the two shows on the other side of the river were left open because those people hadn't gotten sick yet and hadn't been in, you know, and that's such a, you don't think of like, it's the 21st century. You don't think, well, the people on the right side of the river, they're safe. You know, that's like really there's a medieval. That's, that's, yeah, that's what I mean. That's literally like, well, we get out of water from this well. So we are fine. You know, it's like, no, really, you're not. You're both in North Hollywood, half a mile from each other, separated by a concrete strip we call the L.A. River. That's that's not really uh, how it works. But, yeah, it's it's a, it's a wild thing. And as much and also, look, I know that, you know, all five of us, particularly as personality types, we are trying to project positivity and I'm doing my thing and we're getting it done. And holy shit, is that exhausting? You yeah. know? And I think people don't 
you know, I want everyone on this call and everyone who has that personality to know, I see you, man. I see you out there trying to make people laugh and tell everybody we're all happy and safe and having a good time. And it is exhausting. You know, yeah. it's what I call the, you know, it's the, in some way, you know, in therapy, I've referred to this as the Captain Kirk thing, where on the bridge, you make everybody go feel good about yourself. And then you go cry alone in your cabin yeah. while no one's watching and not even Spock gets to hear that. See, now those, those episodes I would watch. <laughs> can, I, 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 um, can I overshare for a second? Absolutely. You heard overshare? No. Anyways. Never, anyway, so yeah. I was picking something out of my butt. Now. Um, like, the, the thing that's that's just destroying me at the moment, and I, and I say destroying because, like, I my my mood is, like, a fucking yo-yo right now. Or, like, mm -hmm. like like if, if, if M. Night Shyamalan got a slinky, it's all twisted at the end. Um... That's a dumb joke. See, I can't even fucking stop. I'm sorry. But, like, we live in the middle of nowhere. Um, it is a mile to the nearest thing, which is a Walmart, okay? And I can't drive because I'm almost entirely blind, so I have to walk there if I want to go. And there are no sidewalks in our part of the world. Um, so it's, it's like, it's very, very isolated. And my husband is 76 years old. And that means that I have spent this entire pandemic being so fucking careful of every single thing. Like, like, and I, I went overboard at the beginning. Like I was spraying my food down with weird toxic spray because I read on the internet, it would fix it. But like, we all did that hygiene theater for a second. And like, then it started getting better. And I uh, had to start coming back to America for various things. And, and, and I have all kinds of vaccines coursing through my body, but it was feeling safe and like that that like san diego david you and i hung out there a bit and it was like real chill and it was fun and then a week later i did i did la comic-con and the saturday night was i think the first time i heard of omicron and then maybe i was a little bit out of touch but that was just that was when it happened no, that's about right so i just didn't go back on sunday and i was like I'm, I'm, I'm done again i'm trapped again and then I couldn't get a test to get back into Canada, so I couldn't leave America. So I was just living in my office like a rock star. Um, and that's it's actually not the brag you think it is when you're sleeping on a fold-out couch and like wishing to yourself, I wish I had a better fold-out couch in my office. That is a sad life. And now I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, I'm in the middle of nowhere. I'm so vaccinated, but I'm going to get Omicron at some point. I don't want it. I don't, I'm not one of these people who's like, we should all just get it. Fuck those people. They're idiots. That's not how science works. But I am stuck here until, until it's gone. Because if I get on a plane, that's when I'm going to get it. And then I'm going to be traveling and sick. And that is going to be the worst possibility. Because if I get it, even if I'm testing negative and I think about it, I'm not going to risk coming home to my 76-year-old husband and giving it to him because he's fully vaccinated. Like, we're, we're smart people. But, like... I'm not going to risk that. So just like this is this is I feel more trapped right now than I did in like April of 2020 mm -hmm. back when I was, you know, not answering the door mm -hmm. and and hiding if 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 I saw someone walk by on the street like when I would I would stand outside on my front lawn when I, I lived in L.A. before I got kicked out because of fucking Trump. But like I would stand on the, my front lawn for 30 seconds at like five in the morning to be like, this is my outdoor time. There are no people around. I feel more trapped than that level of insane. And it's hard. And 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 I'm gonna overshare on, on Barbara's behalf here for a second. Barbara, you 
broke me the other day when we were talking and you said the hardest part about COVID is not having anything to look forward to. And it's true because everything we do is like, I've been looking forward to this. Like I've been looking forward to a podcast interview all week because I was like, I'm talking to people sure. and you know, Amanda, that's, I don't know you, but I, 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 you, I love you. <laughs> You're one of started this podcast. But like, like it's all these little serotonin boosts. Mm -hmm. There is no, like I used to be someone who would plan and I would work towards something and I would be exhausted afterwards, but it would be like this fun fucking time of like, oh, you lived in your office for six weeks like a crazy person because you were on a deadline because you didn't read a contract? Cool story, Richard. Oh, you have chemical burns on yourself because of adult premium body wipes you bought at a discount? And I'm like, yeah, that's the best <laughs> of life. Mm -hmm. But now it's like, what do I do? Okay, I get up in the morning, get up at five, I draw comics until 11 o'clock at night. I have one drink and go to bed. Don't leave the house. Don't. I, I bought a fucking elliptical machine because that was what was popular when I stopped watching infomercials. So I don't know what exercise equipment looks like <laughs> anymore, but we pointed it at the window so I can feel like I'm walking somewhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, I will say you can probably walk in your mile to a Walmart neighborhood without getting sick. There if, are no sidewalks. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a blind person with no sidewalks. Oh, that's true. Not. That's true. <laughs> but yeah, I will say, I mean, you know, I don't, feel that way. I, I definitely feel more positive because for me, and again, I don't live with some, you know, my wife is 53. I don't have contact with anyone who's going to die if I get Omicron. Uh, I'm vaxxed and boosted and do not feel like if I got it, it would make me very sick. I feel actually pretty confident about that. Partially, again, and I, this is not science. This is just my own intuition about my own metabolism. I had almost no reaction to the shots. Like, I had no side effects from the shots. So I feel like maybe that means I would, if I got it, it would be light. But, uh, we, you know, we've, we've done what I consider a, a rational risk management while still managing to have a life. When we go to the, when my wife is off on a weekday, we go to Grauman's Chinese Theater, which has a vaulted ceiling and 10,000 seats. And we sit in the third row where the closest person is further from us than anyone has ever been in any supermarket, you know, that we've gone to. I mean, and we're having our groceries delivered last three years, so that's fine. So, you know, it's all what you feel comfortable with in its risk management. And we're all, but we're all of us screwed up by it, you know, mm -hmm. and anyone pretending they're not screwed up by it. And we've gone, you know, me and my wife have gone through <clears throat> peaks and valleys of what I'll call rational paranoia and irrational paranoia. And, you know, even a tiny bit of like, no, things are things are much better than they are. You know, I think this there is a course to these things and Omicron will peak probably within the next two, three weeks, like it did in South Africa. And, you know, someone said, you know, the bad news, good news is there are only so many people who can get infected. And at that point, it's peaked and it now has to infect less people, literally because it's infected everyone it's going to infect, which is a wild, wild thought. But uh, but all that said, you know, we've the human race has been through this a couple of times uh, and it does eventually fade to something that it just, you know, affects one percent of the population forever 
and the rest of us not. And that's how every one of these things has happened over the course of human history. It's just being in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does feel like the dark, <clears throat> you know, and we're lucky that we have these, you know, that we have tools of connectivity. You know, I mean, it's, you know, the guys who invented Zoom had no idea they were inventing the next stage of human evolution and human contact. They thought they had a video conferencing thing that seemed pretty cool and maybe someone in the corporate world would use. And now it's how we talk. But as I said earlier, Rylan and I started this because when was the next time I was going to talk to Amanda? I wasn't going to see her at a con. Mm-hmm. You know, and we wanted to stay in touch with our friends and our colleagues and, and you know, and on top of everything else, to cheerlead for one another and to say, I'm here for you. And we're part of this community and we love each other and we support each other and support each other's work, you know, and that's, um, that's such a vital thing. And I, you know, I remember so many times in my life where there was no pandemic and I felt more cut off from the rest of humanity. And that was just poverty. (laughs) That was was just being poor and having no ability to even pay for a drink if I could go out. Um, So it's all, it's all relative to your experience and to to what you're going through. Like I said, I, I am fortunate that I don't have a youngster or an oldster that I can directly infect, uh, I mean, I guess I have my my immediate neighbor, who's uh, my landlord's Armenian mother, who does not speak any English, and I have contact with her about once a week when she can't figure out the remote control for her TV, uh, <laughs> and I uh, and I and I fix that and am bombarded with baked goods uh, after that because they're lovely, lovely people. But that you know, all I can say is we are here for you, Richard. You know, and yeah, I'm sorry, I I don't, I don't want to. No, I just, I'm all about we're us talking. You know, we're we're not here to put a smiling face on the end of the world. No, I mean, yeah, Richard, what you're talking about is a very universal thing, and I mean, that's the that's what I'm trying to work through is how um, how long when when we get the all clear when we're officially past this. I mean, and and not you know we've thought that maybe we were we were past this a couple of times and then. You get over that hill and there's another giant hill in front of you. Hopefully we're done with that shit. But we get past this, then how long does it take to untie this knot? Because mm-hmm. like because I think we are all beat up over this. And I think that um you know, it's like the comics community is a support group in general. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we've um we're drawn to this because we've all been through shit. We all have something to say comics is a great place to say it right i mean that was um i came to comics because there was a lot of shit that i i I was working in film and tv but there was all this shit that i couldn't tackle in film and tv and it was fucking killing me and then i found comics and i could say whatever i wanted to say um and and richard i think that's even more apparent with you or you know you're you're saying some very important challenging things like socially and you're doing it in an entertaining way and all of that stuff um but long-winded way of long-winded way of saying like i think we're you know we have not had our proper support group and we found ways of course i mean barbara and fan base they have their weekly call which is very important and we've been doing this and we we found other ways to kind of connect but it's not the same right Mm um i mean i think david kind of hinted at it um 
some of us hide it better than others, right? I mean, I have no problem getting up in front of 500 people at San Diego Comic-Con, running a panel, making a fool out of myself, uh, but it's performative, right? It's not, it's not actually me. Um, I can, I can flip a switch and, and entertain or whatever, or babble <laughs> or, or, or whatnot. And, you know, and I, I even fall into that mode on here, but, um, but there's something else that happens on day two of a con or something like that when you you're in the trenches with all these people and you're seeing these people that you know and you trust and um they put their heart and their soul out there in a book for everyone to read and i've read it and i can see that and i recognize it and they recognize it in me and there's this understanding that you don't have with a lot of other people right and uh and then you have some really deep conversations and really deep connections right um and it's something that i don't get a lot in my normal performative life and it's something that is very important to me um and you get glimpses of it here like we've been doing for the last hour or whatever but um but i miss that um and um and it takes time right to i mean i think you come into it and you are like you are guarded and you are gun shy and it takes time to kind of um whatever take the mask off or just bring the wall down right um but the people at these things, like they chip away at it slowly, but surely, and then it gets easier. Well, I don't know. We've had like three years now to like put the wall back up. Right. Mm. <laughs> and so, and so I wonder how long it takes for it to kind of fully come down again, to, to trust, to feel safe taking the, I mean, our literal mask, but our proverbial uh, uh, performative masks also. Right. See, um, I, I think that like, I'm a little more hopeful about that part, I think, because um, I, I always used to say that when I first meet a person, I really hope that something terrible has happened to me or them that day like, or or that like a car explodes next to us because then immediately there is no how's the weather. It's like, oh, shit, you just got brain cancer and that car exploded. That's really terrible. But now we've bonded like we just went yeah. through the experience, like whatever it is, we've been through it. I think when we see each other in person again. I think everyone is like all and maybe it's gonna be all fucked up because like we all have to be on fucking guard to be like oh were you a clever covid person or a fucking monster <laughs> um but like and you know that, that's gonna make grinder hookups very difficult but um it's, <laughs> it's gonna be, uh, <laughs> sorry um by the way hit me up on grinder my username is napoleon bone together um if if, if when we see people like we're going to be like, Oh, we all went through this. We can immediately bond. We don't have to do any of mm -hmm. like that. That mask stuff is actually going to be gone. I think. Yeah. I, I think there's something, I mean, look, I've actually always argued and it's a slightly wider topic. I like the way the internet has kind of killed small talk mm -hmm. in the sense that if your friends was, when you go to a college reunion, say now, no one asks you, what have you been doing the last 10 years? They say, I really loved that book. Or, how, you know, you went to Fiji. How was Fiji? You know, like, we all know what we've been doing. We all know what we've been up to. We've all been paying attention to that. And I actually, there's a part of me that thinks that's a, that's a very positive thing, that we have this information about each other. It's like before Twitter, did you know that guy you work with is a horrible racist? Maybe not. Maybe he didn't say anything. And then you see him liking the Trump Jr. tweet and you go, oh, this person is a monster. Good. Now I know. It's like it's a there's an overall <laughs> unmasking because people can't, fucking, you know, 
to help themselves. But yeah, we have all, we will have all been through this thing together. We will all have some idea of how we survived it. I have a feeling that the people you are still friends with will be on team mask, team vaccine, uh, because you learned the other people didn't give a shit about the future of the human race or the lives or deaths of their friends and family. So it's easy to make these distinctions. And I will say that, I mean, an overall thing about the pandemic that I've noticed, when I would go out in 2020 for a walk in my neighborhood, in Hollywood, California, like maybe 20% of the people were masked. And you would see my favorite thing, which was the couple where the woman had a mask on and the man didn't, which I would probably like. Every time as we walked past, I would say, leave him. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I hope she heard me. Leave him. Uh, he doesn't care about people. Uh, but now I, I never see people on the streets of Hollywood without masks. I, everyone, like the magic bullet penetrated most of the brains, at least around here. And mm. people, like I, I see people walking alone three blocks from another human being wearing a mask. And I'm like, something <laughs> has taken hold because I never used to see that. I don't mean, I, uh, well, I don't go to Michigan. <laughs> I would walk with a mask in my hand because I walk alone in the hills up here. And, you know, I see other people. I'm like, okay, I'll put a mask on now. I'm mm. getting near other people. All, all that to say, I think, you know, like World War II, like any number of things, it's a crucible. It is absolutely a crucible. We, we have been tested. Every single, no one who lived through 2020 and 2021 got away with not being tested. And some people were found wanting, and some people were not, and some people were rational, and some people were not. And now we know. And now we've all been through that. And yeah, you will you will see people and you go, you know, how did you survive? What did you do? What did you do in the war, daddy, as the expression used to go when I was a kid? You know, uh, and and that's that's not a, as you say, Richard, about, you know, shared trauma has a lot going for it as a bonding experience. And now we have all had this experience, you know, even the, you know, as, as cocktail party chatter, Pfizer or Moderna. Oh, John, interesting. Right at the beginning of all of this, uh, when I was still in LA, and I was like, I was quick on the mask tip, and uh, I couldn't get a mask. And so I was doing the underwear, and then you flip it over. And I was out for walking my dog, and I saw this uh, couple, and it was exactly what you're talking about. Woman is masked, man is not. And I yell at him, put your fucking, put a fucking mask on. And he comes at me um and i had my my roommate at the time had just bought mace because he was like we should have mace so i was like i don't think we need mace i was like i've got mace <laughs> so i sprayed it to him with mace and he just dropped and i, I was walking my dog so i didn't have a bag of dog shit on me and so i just threw that on his face and i said fuck you don't ever leave your house without a mask and then i ran away because he was much bigger than me and i got back to the house and i was like Oh shit! I can never walk my dog again because that man's gonna do a murder to me. Right. And then I was like, "But wait, I was wearing a full head covering mask made of right. underpants." Like, so anyone who tells you the masks don't save your life is an idiot. Yeah, that's that, that's a that's a very good call. Uh, well, we should probably wrap up. 
I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Nobody's going to top that. Yeah, so. I don't know that anyone's going to top the, the, the mace underwear yeah. on the head story. Yeah, uh, I, I, I've maced someone before, but I've never thrown dog shit on them after, so I, I, I got nothing. Yeah. My little sister accidentally maced all of us in the car once. <laughs> it was, she didn't mean to. She was like, what's this? And yeah. Oh. That's very good. Yeah, never never press a button. You don't know what happens when you press the button. That's that's generally. Mm-hmm. Some exactly. friends of mine had a, an, a button that was attached to nothing in their kitchen. This was like college, six people living together in the same house thing. And they had all decided that the, the switch, this story is apropos of nothing. Uh, they had all decided that the switch was the stop time button. And all of the roommates were in on it. And whenever there was a new person over, they would say, oh, what does this do? And flip it, and everyone would stand still until they flipped it down again. And if and the best part is if they started to do it and someone went, no, don't. And then they'd, we'd all see how long we could stay frozen until they flipped it back down again. New Brunswick, New Jersey, Rutgers University. Uh, thank you all so much for coming. Usually we wrap up by saying what's everyone got going on, but uh, we've talked about that. <laughs> I don't know, we could have gotten new projects since this started. I <laughs> I, yeah. uh, Richard, yeah. how many pages have you drawn in the last hour? <laughs> I, literally, I literally just looked at my phone. There's a fucking notification on here that says, can you do this? That is the subject line. Can you do this? New job. There it is. There you go. The answer is no. I cannot do anything else. <laughs> I have to, I, I I have I have a um I have a I, I don't want to it's not a whiteboard because it's black but it's made of glass and it functions like a whiteboard um but it's also not a blackboard it's very confusing but it has a tally of what I have to draw for the year on it that I get to update each day and it was sitting at 888 pages left to do and then I got 24 more pages added a week ago so the number just I, I am Sisyphus. I'm the Sisyphus of comics. <laughs> well, on that note, Sisyphus, again, thank you all so much for joining us. Uh, we really, we wanted to kick off this show with people we love and people that we knew would be delightful to talk to. And we were, we chose wisely is all I'm saying. Thank you so much, guys. See love you guys. You. Thank you. And we'll have you again soon, I'm sure. If you're watching us on YouTube, be sure to smash that like button. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or other fine purveyors of ear crack, please leave us a five-star review. And wherever you're watching and or listening, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. We'll see you back here next week for more Madcap Hijinks on the Writer's Block. For more information, visit PendantAudio.com. Thanks for listening.